Welcome to the Savage Gentleman Podcast. My name is Matt Winslow, along with my beautiful co-host, Josh Tyler. Oh, hey, Tonight, man. we've got a Monday night fight. Ooh, Monday night fights. Along with a couple other items that we're uh, seeing in the world today. The first of which, in Chicago, women uh, are forming women-only workspaces. Interesting. Huh. What do you think? Well, I was unaware of that. I'm glad you brought that to my attention. Um, I mean, I guess more power to them. It doesn't really affect me I think it's a win for us. It's a win for men. How Man. so? Because we get those crazy bitches away from us. <laughs> Dang. Wow. Why don't you tell us how you really feel? Um, no. Well, yeah, man, here's the thing. I mean, if, if you want – do what you want. At the end of the day, I, I, I don't really care, you know, but – I, I think that we do better collectively than we do when we start drawing lines in the sand and separating everybody. And, you know, if women want to have a place where they're all women and they can do their thing, like, I mean, I guess that's fine. I don't know. And maybe it'll be productive. Maybe, maybe that's the secret to unlocking like all of, you know, humanity's productivity is just sequester the women off and let them do their thing and keep the men over here. I don't think that's true. I mean, we, we've got some women here in the office that work really well with us. Love them. You know, I mean, we, we've brought on Kylie as a as an as an intern and she's been doing great. We've got, you know, you look at Black Rifle Coffee, they've got tons of women in the executive level and they're crushing it. So, I mean, I think it's funny because we're I thought we're pushing for diversity in the workplace. That seems like the the antithesis. Well, of that. it's it's always diversity, but equality. But you know, it's got to be fair for everybody, but fair for only a one group of people. Right. You know, I think it's a good thing. I mean, women women have very specific uh, uh, tastes, and men have very specific tastes. I mean, uh, there's no reason why they can't get along together. But I don't see any reason why there can't be men only country clubs and women only workspaces. I mean, at the you end do of the day, yeah, it's a free country. Do whatever you want to do, you know? And if, if you're butthurt about someone starting their own club, then go start yours. Exactly. And then you can exclude whoever you want to exclude. And I guess time will tell whether it's actually productive um, to have it in that format or not. So that's a interesting bit of current events. You said, so Chicago has formed women only workspaces. Yeah, something to think huh. about. I mean, it, I hate to say it, but anything that Chicago implements as far as policy, <laughs> I generally want to stay let's line, from. Yeah, let's sign up for that right away. You know, this next one comes from Texas. So a Texas woman called the police because uh, this man was playing with his kids on the playground, and he was wearing an offensive T-shirt. Oh, no. Uh, let me tell you what this T-shirt what was hat. Was it a drinking bro shirt? Oh, man. That, or that Art, Art just 15? Was it Article 15 shirt? This had a picture of an assault weapon, <gasps> a da, AR-15. Da, da, da. Oh my gosh! An AR-15, and it said, "I'll control my guns. You control your kids." Ooh, pretty dangerous fella to be wearing around that shirt, don't you think? Man, I mean, that's oh, what has the world come to where people actually have illustrations of firearms on their clothing? Wow, I bet those people are not fans of Black Rifle. <laughs> and interesting that it came from Texas. I mean, yeah, Texas you would think places. Texas of all places, they'd be pretty okay with someone just having the depiction of a firearm. I mean, I get it if the guy was strapped and, and open carrying an AR-15, 
in a playground, they might here's, get a little here's bit Here's the caveat upset. to this story. Now, uh, you know, we, we sometimes cherry pick these stories and we like to set it up. Uh, we, this is all you. You cherry pick <laughs> these. I had nothing to I, do with this. I cherry picked this one. And sometimes we like to pick these stories because it aligns with our views and, and we can really make a point out of it. You know, the flip side of this is that this guy was openly carrying a uh, 1911, which, you know, tactically, I hate open carry. I think right. it is the dumbest thing. I totally agree with the right to do it, mm-hmm. but I think you were a moron if you were open carrying. You're setting yourself up for a target and you're making people uncomfortable. Yeah. Now, you can argue that who cares if people are uncomfortable, and it's like, well, you know, sometimes that's part of being a gentleman and not a straight savage, right? Hey, um, good you call. know, not everything is just about you, and tactically, it makes no sense to be open carrying in any place other than a combat zone. Yeah, that's a really valid point, and and I, I often question the motive for doing that. Um, because you are, you're, you're, you're drawing, drawing attention to yourself, you know, in the event that something were to go down, Hey, let's take out the gun. The guy that I know has a gun first. Now, the other side to that though, is perhaps a deterrent saying, eh, if people are concealed carry, they may or may not have a firearm. If he's open carried guaranteed, Hey, I know that at least that guy has a gun. So maybe that's one of the pros to it. I mean, I, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I, you know, I yeah, probably I mean, wouldn't there's, open there's carry myself. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely it. So yeah. again, you know, it okay. pros, pros and cons, but, you know, you know and, and I didn't it takes the guesswork out. Yeah, you know, and I didn't think about that way because, you know, if as a small female, um, a, a large man could most of the time overpower you sure. pretty quickly. And even if you're carrying at the three o'clock or maybe appendix carry, it's possible that he knocks you to the ground and pins the firearm between, uh, uh, you know, him and, mm-hmm. and your body. You're num- unable to get to it. So fair point. I've just never liked it. I've never liked advertising that I'm carrying a firearm. Yeah. Um, it, and it, I get that. I mean, that, it makes perfect total sense. But I think, you know, I think there's a case that can be made for it, you know, both in the pro and the con. I think, you know, you can argue either point. Yeah, great point. Thank you for bringing that up. All right. So is that all the current event news that you have for you us? Know, you there got are so zinger. many current events going on today, but, you know, it, it's just mind numbing to get to them all. So without further ado, Ooh. we're going to the Monday Night Fight. <laughs> All right, so first up, we have Ernest Hemingway versus good old Tezzy Roosevelt. Now, being the gentleman that I am, Josh, I'll yes. allow you to explain your historical figure, which is Ernest Hemingway. Okay. And then I will get to my historical figure, Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, so I get to go first. I'm the gentleman. Oh, well, all right. So savage You're first. So, savage. so does that mean, so are you arguing that Hemingway is more savage than Roosevelt? How did we come to the, you know, the choice of- I think, I, think, I think Roosevelt is the complete package. I think he embodies what Savage Yellman is meant to be. He can turn more on the so savage than Hemingway? side. More so than Hemingway. <sighs> Bold statement, my friend. <laughs> he can turn on the wow. charm when he needs to. Remember, he was a politician. He needed to get stuff done, so he needed to have a bit of gentleman in him. But when he was uh, a rough rider or when he uh, was out in the sticks fighting, he had to turn up that savage side. Yeah, I mean, I I will agree with that. And I think it makes sense, you know, uh, as a military man like yourself, to side with with Teddy Roosevelt and and for myself – 
you know, I'm going to go with Hemingway. One, because the guy liked to like fist fight quite a bit. You know, so as a professional fighter myself, yeah. we have that common bond. I mean, he was an avid outdoorsman. They both were, truthfully. But both both were fist fighters. Might I add, when Teddy Roosevelt was president in the White House, he had a boxing match in, uh, against a young Navy guy, got punched in the eye, and lost his eyesight in that eye. See, and this that's why, why I'm voting for. This is why he was U.S. president. This is why I'm voting for Hemingway. Also, if you're getting in a fist fight as president, guarantee that's a fixed fight. There's no <laughs> chance they're bringing in a badass dude to beat up on the press. They brought in no some ringer, bum. Huh? No, they brought in. They, he, he cr- that guy was a tomato can. Guaranteed. Whoever he fought in the White House, total bum. Okay. So that doesn't okay. count. So okay, fair. We'll do. We'll do a brief history on Hemingway. And interestingly enough, Hemingway did have some experience in combat, not necessarily direct combat. He was actually an ambulance driver um, in World War One, and he was actually wounded by an Austrian mortar round and returned home. So he's he's been in combat. You know, he wasn't fighting like Roosevelt was as a rough rider. But, I mean, that's still pretty commendable. It's still pretty badass for him to go over there and, and you know, mix it up. So Yeah, props. You know, I don't care what you're doing in the military. I mean, if it's direct fighting or indirect fighting, it's 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 pretty badass to uh, enlist, volunteer for that, and go over there and fight. So now the other thing that he did, um, he set up a real-life intelligence network, keeping an eye on the pro-Franco and pro-Hitler agents in Cuba. So he was doing some uh, – oh, he's a master of espionage, yeah, which so this was, is pretty cool. Uh, so this was uh, post-World War II? I don't know. Sure. Post-World War II? No, yeah. that had to be post-World War I. No. Well, you're saying pro-Hitler. I guess oh, I guess that would have been pro uh, uh, before World War Two. Yeah, when the brown yeah. shirts were getting post going. one into two. It yeah. Bef- right. Yeah. 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 Or or possibly in conjunction with enduring. So probably pre and during World War. That II. makes sense. I thought it was uh, all the people who fled, all the Nazis who fled to South America, Central uh, America, and Cuba. These I don't know, man. I'm not a damn historian. I'm just reading the sheet. What do you want from me? Jeez. Um, and then the other thing he did was he patrolled the Caribbean for German U-boats on his fishing boat, which is pretty gangster. And all he had with him was his Thompson submachine gun and some hand grenades. That's, That's pretty, pretty ballsy. That's pretty badass. That is You're going to take on a freaking U-boat with, with a Tommy gun <laughs> and some grenades? That's some brass balls. To be fair, he was drunk 99.9% of the time, you- so... Even better. I'm sure he didn't know what he was doing. No, that's even that's even more badass. So I mean that's a that's another point for for Hemingway in in my eyes. So, you know, that's it for him in in, in terms of his like political and uh combat in terms of being a serviceman and that sort of thing. Um, no, so is it true that he he killed a porcupine at age three and ate it? That's what they said. He also allegedly killed four hundred jackrabbits in a day. Uh, with his wife and two kids, which... But if he was so drunk, how would he count that many? I mean, I, I give him plus or minus, <laughs> plus or minus hundred. 20. Yeah, maybe 100. <laughs> All right. Just to keep it You fair. know, the funny thing is, is we were researching these guys. The, the common theme was, is that we were more, uh, we were more impressed with 
what they actually did instead of the myths about Well, that's that. the hard part, man. I mean, these guys are such larger-than-life characters that trying to disseminate the fact from fiction is pretty difficult. And, and some of the stuff you kind of have to take with a grain of salt because, you know, as time progresses, the, the stories get told and passed on. And there may be some hyperbole in there, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. uh, if but we're going to take... That- if we're going to take the stories, you know, at face value, that's kind of how we're stacking this up, you know. You know, and, and I think there's a reason why myths and legends get brought up in the first place. And you have to be a pretty cool individual yeah. to have a myth uh, brought Centered up about you. you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're not some chump-ass chump and people are going to tell stories of your of your deeds. Like, you got to be a pretty badass dude for, to go down in history and to even be mm. talked about in the Savage Gentleman Fight Club, yes. you know, historical this is fight club. very prestigious. It really, it really is. It really is. So we're doing these guys a huge favor. So, um, so what do you got for? Let's let's jump over to Roosevelt. Let's talk a little bit of his military career, so we can compare apples to apples here. Yeah. So just to preface this, it all starts when Roosevelt was very young, and the doctors told him to live a pretty sedentary life because he had an extremely weak heart. And uh, Roosevelt, being Roosevelt, responded that he would do all the things that you tell me not to do. So that kind of sets the stage of how uh, Roosevelt's personality was. He just wanted to go uh, from zero to 60 right now, do it as hard as he could, as fast as he could. And he didn't want anyone to tell him that he couldn't do anything. Matter of fact, he thrived on people telling him that he couldn't do anything. I can get behind that. Uh, that, I, I appreciate I that attitude quite a bit. I think kind of like that in, in some ways, a, a lot of ways, actually. Yeah. You know, and that, that's kind of the, the savage side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when he first grew up, he lived on a ranch. Uh, so that's where he used to learn a rope. He learned to ride. He learned to hunt. Um, and then he he became president. When he became president, he was the youngest president, yes, younger than JFK, at 42 years old. So this is a pretty young guy uh, in terms of a presidency, and he was going, you know, balls to the wall in everything he did, including his presidency. Um, for as far as his military career, everybody knows he was a rough rider in the Spanish-American War. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what people don't know is that he was actually Secretary of the Navy, uh, which was a very high wow. high up position. He actually pretty much created the U.S. Navy today. Uh, as it stands, but he left the Secretary of the Navy position to go and be a Rough Rider in the Spanish-American War. Dang. Now, this was pre-DMX? Uh, DMX Rough Riders? This is where we cut to the uh, Rough Riders anthem. Oh. In the, in, the, in the podcast. We'll edit that in there. Yeah, I we'll think. make sure we we'll, have We'll it. fix that in post. Yep. Right. I wish we, we should have that queued up. Is it DMX? Yeah. See, I know some stuff. <laughs> and we're we're talking about historical Fight Club. You guys saw the little graphics. You guys actually got in there and voted, and it was overwhelmingly in favor for Teddy Roosevelt. Which, you know, I don't think people gave. I don't think people were giving Hemingway enough credit. In my opinion. In my opinion, I thought it was going to be a pretty even 50-50 split. And it was like 80-20 when the results came in. In case you guys didn't see the results on IG, it was it was a landslide. I think the problem is, is that Roosevelt had pretty upstanding moral character. Um, he was 
pretty known for being that way. Uh, and I would say Hemingway quite a bit less so. Just because he drank a little bit? Jeez. The guy liked whiskey. Give him a break, man. <laughs> Holy crap. That is true. Josh Tyler himself loves himself a good glass of whiskey. I'm I'm a fan. Yeah, I don't, I don't drink every day, but mm-hmm. yeah, I kind of drink every yeah. day. So a couple other feats that he did, and this is one that I think – Actually, there's a couple that I want to touch on. So one, he survived two airplane crashes. We're talking about Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway survived two airplane crashes in two days on an African safari trip. Um, the second, hopefully not in the same plane. Well, I think you only <laughs> you can only crash a plane once most of the time. The second time, it burst into flames on the runway. So, I mean, any I guess any landing you can walk away from is a good one, but. That's pretty damn tough. So I'm just saying, if a guy can survive two airplane crashes, you're going to have a hard time beating that man in a fist fight. All right. Secondly, so so that that goes to his toughness. And then I'll speak to his endurance um, about fishing. So on a fishing trip Ooh, in the Bahamas. I love this story. He shot at a shoal of sharks. So a bunch of sharks out in the water. And he's just out there boom, 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 plugging away to keep them away from the fish he were he was trying to catch. And then? And then he accidentally shot himself in the leg. He may oh. or may not have been drinking while he was doing that, and that's why we don't mix firearms So, Josh and Tyler, he's a danger to himself? And sharks. He's a danger to himself and sharks. Um, and in firearms. However, however, speaking of his fishing, and this is where the endurance comes in, he has a world record by catching seven marlin in one day. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, right? But unless you've been offshore fishing, if you've ever gone trophy fishing, offshore fishing for these you know, huge sport fish, dude, it, it will kick your ass. I mean, oh, just, yeah. You're in the seat fighting those you're things. Sit, and, and you're talking hours. about fish that are hundreds pushing 1,000 pounds. So, I mean – that guy hauled in 7,000 pounds worth of freaking torpedo muscle, right, in yeah. one day. That's a badass dude. Like, that guy is, yeah, is, that is tough. That is an impressive uh, feat of strength right there. I will give him that. So you, you add that with his toughness. I mean, he survived a gunshot. Granted, it was self-inflicted, but, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, two airplane crashes, reeled in all sorts of marlin, was a big game hunter as well. And the dude was notorious for, for backstreet brawling, getting in boxing matches. I mean, I, yeah, Teddy Roosevelt, why, uh, he also hunted and fished, 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 <laughs> fished. He done fished, he did. <laughs> Teddy we'll Roosevelt also hunt and fished, but he also did something else. Oh, like, I don't know. Gave us national parks. But how does that help you win in a fight? Oh, okay. So we're just basing this around Who would win fight. in a fight? Okay. That's the whole premise. Well, I, I will give you how he would win the fight by, oh, I don't know, boxing for Harvard? Yeah, but he, I mean, boxing for Harvard is like is like playing Beating pro up a bunch of Obamas. I know, the, I know. Canadian League. You know what I mean? I'm just kidding. Those guys are actually really tough. I know a guy that plays in the Canadian Football League. He's a bad dude. Um, but you get the point, right? It's like, yeah, oh. no, I, I totally get it. I mean, you know, uh, Hemingway is uh, beating up fish, and, and Roosevelt's beating up little Navy boys. So it's tough. And, and again, man, I, I don't. I don't know 100%. It's really hard to say who would win that fight. I mean, I, I feel strongly that 
it, it's Hemingway, but it would be a toss up because both dudes are are pretty game. But you know, the people had spoken. The people voted online, and they gave it to Theodore Roosevelt, which interesting. Uh, you know, and one thing we didn't mention uh, is the height and weights of these guys. So that's another thing, and that's uh, I don't think people Heming- accounted for. And they're both big dudes. They're good sized boys. Hemingway but... was uh, six foot, uh, about two hundred twenty pounds, and uh, Teddy uh, was. Hang on, let me pull. I think up. he's about actually like 5'10", he was he was 5'11". shorter. Yeah, yeah, he's a little he bit was, smaller. He was five ten. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he was pretty stout though. I mean, he's sturdy, but yeah. I mean, you know, there there is something to be said for height and reach. And I'm a pretty short guy myself, and I've used that to my advantage in yeah. fighting. So that's not you know a disqualifying factor as the the often shorter combatant. You know, I don't I don't automatically give it to the taller guy, but it doesn't it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to be bigger. That's for sure. So right. Um. So I think you know. Based off of what the people said, I mean, I'm still I'm still pulling for my boy, Papa, uh, Papa Hemingway. But you know, as as for the votes, I guess I guess we got to give it to Theodore Roosevelt. Yes, we do. Uh, I mean, I think it'd be a pretty close fight. I really do. I think it would have to go to the judges' scorecard on this one. Oh, so you're you're gonna call it a decision at least? I think it's a decision. I think How so. About you? I, man, here's the thing. Here's here's the way I look at it. With the endurance of Hemingway and just the overall toughness and the fact that he's probably so hammered that he can't feel pain, if you didn't knock him out, it'd be hard to beat. If it went to and, the judges' decision, man, I you know, when it went the distance, I, I'd have to go to Hemingway. So if Yeah, but Roosevelt's a tactician. Hmm. You know, he can definitely use that to his advantage um, in all of his engagements, his military engagements, his political engagements. He was a tactician and a brilliant one at that. Touche. I mean, that. OK, all so right, the people have move. spoken, yep. Josh, and it's uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Yay. Teddy. Yay. Yay, yay for Matt. You got who's, one. Who's next? All right. And then next up, if you guys have been following along, we did Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett. So, Matt, you are arguing for Daniel Boone. I am. I believe. And uh, I've got I've got Mr. Crockett. And um, since I got to go first on the last one, you'll go first on this one. I will say this. In researching Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett, I mean, they were very, very impressive men, but not because of their legend. I think their legend does them an extreme disservice. I mean, these guys were went through the toughest, roughest times I can imagine. Um, Our country wasn't even a country when these guys were around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is taking it way, way back where, I mean, this was basically a blank spot on the map. You know, there was a little bit filled in and the rest was just question mark. And these guys went out there and went exploring and, and made a living in that unknown area and and I think that's something that's really hard to relate to these days because the, there are no places like that I mean I guess if you get out you have to the go a long ways out <laughs> yeah we're like just not another we're just not bred for that anymore I mean these no. guys grew up they you know the, the legend was that Daniel Boone fought a bear at age three and one mm-hmm. come on now that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard but what he did do is he blazed a 200 mile trail to no, I think you're mistaken that's Davy Crockett that's Daniel Boone Davy Crockett Daniel. killed him a bear when he was only three that's what the song goes oh is it born on a mountain let me quote let me quote the song anyways let me quote the song born on a mountaintop born in Tennessee on a mountaintop in Tennessee. Bravest, bravest man in the land of the free. In the land of the free. 
Something, something, something. I don't remember the words. Killed him a bear when he was only three. Okay. Well, Davy Crockett. Whoever it was, they didn't do it. No, it's in the song. That is that is doctrine. Okay. They wrote a song about it. It can't be wrong. Are you crazy? Yes. Okay. So, anyways, uh, Josh is going to stick with Davy Crockett. Um, killed a bear at age three. So we've got a uh, a bear killing toddler. Yeah. Versus my Daniel Boone, a man. <laughs> Okay, a little backstory about Daniel Boone. So Daniel Boone grew up in a, a huge family. He was one of 12 kids. Um, and they, interestingly enough, they grew up to, um, I'm forgetting his first name, but it's Abraham Lincoln's great-grandfather. They were next-door neighbors. Oh, wow. Yes. Interesting. Huh. Um, and as was customary at the time, when you would move your, you know, from point A to point B, you essentially take your neighbors with you. Really? So your neighbors moved with you. So they started out in, uh, around North Carolina, um, and they made their way uh, over into Kentucky. Um, so Daniel Boone forged the 200-mile trail to Transylvania, which eventually became uh, you know, pretty much Kentucky. He, he's, he, he, wait, 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 I thought Transylvania was in Europe. You know, they had the vampires and yeah, and stuff you and know, thing. it's it's yeah. You're right, Josh. You okay. are right. I mean, that's they, a, they didn't. First of all, that's way further than 200 miles. Their, Second their of all, the was a little bit off back then. Second of all, you can't blaze a trail through the ocean. That's, that's <laughs> that makes no. How sense. How about this? He blazed his way through the Cumberland Gap Ooh. in the Appalachian Mountains now that's, from North Carolina mm-hmm. through Tennessee into Kentucky. Yeah, fun fact, that that's, uh, that's some of my old stomping grounds. I was born and raised in, in Virginia, not in the mountains, but pretty close to, you know, just uh, hours away. And I mean, that, trying to go through that with wagons and horses and whatever, I mean, that that is no small task. And again, at that time, you don't know what's on the other side. No You know, clue. it's not like, hey, I know... I know that this city is on the other side, so when I get there, I'll have, you know, all the stuff I need. It's like, I'm going, and it could be mountains for, you know, a thousand There's miles. There's no GPSs. There's, There's no maps. I and mean, again, think about, about today. about brass balls. Holy oh, shit. man. These guys are absolutely astounding. And, and I, again, I will say, I think their, their legends, their myths, do a disservice to them. As a matter of fact, both Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett hated the myths that were perpetuated about him, even though it made him out to be rock yeah. stars, they absolutely hated it. So it, it's interesting that these guys were so prolific that they had tales being told about them while they were still alive. It's not as though it was a hundred years later and people started, you know, spinning these yarns about these figures. I mean, you got to be pretty legendary to still be alive and, and achieve that status. So again, I think this is another, another incredible matchup. It's interesting, though, because the people out there in the uh, internet world, again, it was far more lopsided than I anticipated. I was expecting a 50-50 split. Um, You know, Davy Crockett was appointed major general of the Tennessee militia. So, I mean, they're both military men, both with combat experience. Unfortunately, Crockett ended up dying fighting in the Alamo. Um, You know, and and I'll I'll say to that, going out on your shield, there's something – commendable about that you know i mean you you could say oh well he got killed in combat but it's like 
yeah, you know, you could look at that as a negative. I say it's a positive. That guy was so committed, you know what I mean, that he went down swinging. So he also served as a member of the U.S. representatives. So, um, you know, when we talk about that strategium, you know, as you alluded to when the Theodore Roosevelt Hemingway match, you know, the guy was a politician, so he he knew how to navigate. He's a pretty intelligent guy. Yeah. You know, in in both, a fist fight. Both, both were politicians. Yeah, both actually. were politicians. So everyone likes to think that these are just some, you know, hicks from, you know, out in the sticks wearing their coonskin caps and beaver caps. Mm-hmm. Beaver cap, Daniel Boone. Yep. Way more fashionable at the time. Coonskin caps were for Dumb, dumb people. For poofs. Say it, you can <laughs> say it. They're for poofs. They're for poofs. Now, here's the thing. No, I, I think above all else, this fight comes down to the cap. It comes down to the cap. For sure. And I think that a beaver would get its ass kicked by a raccoon. Whoa. Raccoon. Whoa. Raccoon. Bro. Dude, that raccoons are angry. So, oh. They've got they've got they've got very dexterous hands. They get the Those raccoon, trash pandas. Yeah, trash panda takes out takes out the beaver every time. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> negative. Listen, negative listen. son. The last of the Mohicans was written for Daniel Boone. I don't care about no trash panda. <laughs> well, here's the thing, man. Despite what I think, despite my vote for for Mr. Crockett, um, again, the people, the people have spoken and again, it was like an 80, 20% split. So like 80% were in favor of Daniel Boone. I could not believe there was this lopsided. I mean, I was researching Davy Crockett so I can, mm-hmm. so you could beat up on me points. a little bit. Yes. Dick. And he's an impressive individual. Yeah. Both guys are super badass. Like, well, and they have so much in common. They both grew up around the same time mm-hmm. period. Uh, Daniel Boone, obviously, uh, earlier. Yep. Um, they both went through pretty much the same thing. They uh, uh, traveled uh, quite a bit with their families. Uh, they both weren't financially well off. Daniel Boone had numerous financial issues. Um what really impressed me was Daniel Boone's ability, actually Davy Crockett's too, their abilities to be absolutely savage when they needed to mm-hmm. and then turn around and be gentlemen when they had to as well. There's a story. Uh, so little known fact, after the surrender at Yorktown, um, Cornwallis, when he surrendered, the British, mm-hmm. Revolutionary War, American, <laughs> The fighting was still going on in Kentucky, and it was against the uh, Americans and the uh, uh, the Shawnee tribes. So, and it was pretty brutal, brutal fighting, and that went on for a whole another eight months, long after the British surrendered. Mm-hmm. So, Daniel Boone. Uh, was fighting alongside his son. Remember, Daniel Boone had like 12 kids. His son was fighting with him. So wait, and, he grew up in a family of 12, and, and then, then he had 12 kids of his own? And that's what impressed me about Man, this that's guy. A, uh, that's well, a feat that might in and change. of itself. Yeah. Well, first of all, if you grew up with, with 11 other brothers, you've got to be a pretty tough dude, especially back then. I mean, you think you think the kids are hard on each other now? beating on each other and, and hazing from older brothers. Like, holy shit. You know, back then, guaranteed you had to be tough. And then you've got the the cojones to, to sire 12 kids of your own. Man, I've yeah. got I've got two, and, and it's like, 
And can you imagine traveling into the wilderness with just your two kids? Jeez. Oh, my gosh. My son is seven. I can't imagine that. No chance. That is insane. So, anyways, his son is fighting uh, alongside him against the uh, uh, the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And his son gets brutally, brutally murdered after he gets captured. Oh, shit. Uh, Daniel Boone gets captured as well. And as was the custom in uh, American uh, Native American tribes at the time, they would adopt uh, the the enemy to be fighters to replace the fallen braves uh, that had, had fallen in battle. So Daniel Boone actually became a – I got – I'm going to butcher the uh, – don't do uh, it. The Native American tribe. Don't you fuck uh, this up, tribe. Yeah, I, I want to say Shawnee, but I, I, I don't. Right. Yeah, it sounds good. Let's let's go with that. But anyways, he was adopted into the Shawnee tribe and became a brave. After a couple of years, or actually it was more like a year and some change, he was released to go back to uh, Boontown, which is the town that he essentially settled. And uh-huh. That's why it's called Found Boontown. Yep. So then he warned that the Native Americans were going to come and slaughter them all. So uh, people were pissed because here he is, he becomes a brave, mm-hmm. and they're like, well, you're a traitor to America. Um, but yet he uh, was able to talk his way out of that and rally the efforts to repel a, a, an attack against the Native Americans. Um and after the fighting was done, the American Indians had nothing but the greatest respect for Daniel Boone. And I think it just shows the character that he had, also the ferocity with, yeah. with he was able to fight. Well, again, that, that shows that dichotomy of, of being a savage and literally fighting and living alongside savages and, and them accepting him as one of their own. But then also the other side of it. As a gentleman, as a politician, as you know, this this man who was able to walk with you know the highest of society, and I think both of these guys really exemplified both Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett what it means to be a savage gentleman. Um, it was interesting some of the comments both on Facebook and Instagram. Quite a few people said either A it would be a draw or B they wouldn't fight each other; they'd just go have a drink. Uh, and you know that's probably true. Yeah, I mean, and I think these guys, if they were face-to-face, would probably have the utmost respect for each other. I mean, there'd have to be, there'd have to be some serious cash on the line, I think, to get, to get either of them out of bed and into the ring for that one. I mean, again, we're talking about fantasy. We're, we're hypothesizing some of these, you know, larger-than-life characters um, throughout history and what it would, what it would be like if they – if they actually fought each other and it's, it's for fun. It's just to spur some conversation. And really it's nice for us. It gives us an excuse to go back and do a little research, learn some history and um, educate ourselves again and, and more on the savage gentleman and what that really means. You know, we're, we're exploring this idea. This is something that we've come up with, but defining it is this evolution, right? What a savage gentleman is. And I think for us to go back and look at the past and see, okay, what, what are some of the examples that we today want to emulate, you know, and these are everyone that we've listed, no matter who you voted for. I mean, you you could do a lot worse to, to, to emulate and be like 
any of these guys. And I think it's going to depend. I mean, for you, being a Savage Yelman is going to be different than for me. Sure. So sure. this is what Savage Yelman's all about, and it's it's finding what works for you and that kind of combination of being a man, whatever that means to you, um, being able to defend yourself, defend your family, um, have some of that savage side, um, and then being able to communicate and be a, a gentleman to – uh, society. Yeah, and that, and that's something that we that we constantly drive home. We're constantly exploring and and working on that. And, and our goal is to get that information and to kind of preach that message to the masses because I think it's something that's being lost in society. I think it's something that that you and I both feel strongly about revitalizing. And I think there's a lot of other people that that tend to feel that way as well. So for Savage Gentlemen, that's kind of the main crux is to push that and. You know, as a, as a vehicle, we're also using it as an opportunity to create some really cool handmade products that we're selling, and that is a shameless yeah, and, plug. And a little bit, a little bit about those. I mean, we we love we love American made products. We love handcrafting things with our own hands. Yeah, I love the smell of leather. I love sewing. Um, and so these products are made by Josh and I. I mean, we. I mean, literally, we, like you can yes. look at my hands and your hands, and there's there's yeah, there's I've, dirt and there's you know grime on it from working the machines, working with the leather, cleaning it, polishing it, cutting it, the whole bit. We enjoy it. And we it's love fun. we love coming up with new products. Um, and this tonight we're going to do a promotion. It's SG Fight Night. You can Ooh. enter in that discount upon checkout. SG Fight Night, and you'll get 15% off your order. Uh, guys, these are 100%. 15%. Can we do that? Mm, man, it might be close. These are 100% made by us. They're made in America goods, made on American equipment, made by American hands. Yeah. With- and and we, we put a lot of time and, 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 you know, care into this. I think that the craftsmanship, again, hearkening back to time before it's something that's being lost you know everything is mass produced everything is cheap and fast and easy and and i know for myself i don't want to purchase those products i certainly don't want to make those products and for us you know working with leather it, it is a really cool thing it's something that, that we're a skill and a trade that we're learning and figuring out and you know so far it's been going pretty good and I want to continue to expand that. You know, we're going to carry a bunch of products with Savage Gentlemen. We want to curate a lot of items for you guys, for you savages and you gentlemen out there. Um, just that stuff that, that Matt, you and I like and we want to have. And we just thought we'd amass that collection and offer it to whomever else agrees with that. And some of it we'll make ourselves right here. If we can't make it, we'll find the best place we can bring that in and get it out to you guys. And that's kind of the other half of the coin. You know, we've got the, the podcast is our soapbox to get up and, and kind of preach our, our message. And then we've got some really badass products that we make and we curate that we're sending out. Yeah, absolutely. And if there's anything you guys want to see, just let us know and we can uh, start prototyping and see if we can make it happen. We love making products and we love, uh, we love doing this. Well, and part of the fun is is actually coming up with new things, you know, innovating. There's yeah. something to to that, like, okay, hey, I want to find something and I want to make it better, you know. And that that's what we're here to do. We want to provide that. I want to break real quick. Got a couple of comments here. So let's see. Liam Hanna, if you're still tuning in, thanks for the shout out to my beard. Sonny Walters is watching one of my fights on YouTube. 
Oh wow, cool! Yeah, it's it's a pretty yeah, good one. If, so if people don't know this, that. Josh Tyler was uh, a, a fought uh, MMA fighter. Was um, what? It, did, well, I guess he is. I did mean, I he's, stop being he's a kind fighter? of a wannabe now. But. Gee, oh, I'm a hack fraud, ha- washed up has been. <laughs> Wearing a Bellator shirt as we speak. My, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Now, Josh Tyler is a pretty badass dude. He's definitely got the savage side down. Um, you know, I can get that way if need be, but I'm more uh, more of a firearms guy, more uh, in that space. And is that the and gentleman? I, I like, is that the gentleman thing to do? Is it use? You don't want to get your hands dirty? Yeah, gonna... I don't want. I don't want my hands dirty. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I'm the gentleman of this group. Matt's the clean cut, you know, um, but he can be a savage. I mean, you served in the Marines. You've been overseas in combat. You've done some pretty badass stuff. Guy climbs mountains. Um, this is the part of the show where we just stroke each other off. Yes, and, we do. And just, My favorite part. Just talk about how cool we are. Um, I think that's – did we cover everything? Yeah, I think we How are. I want to wrap this thing up. I feel like you know, I feel like we're, we're leaving it kind of uh, open ended. So come check us out next week. Uh, pretty soon we may be actually going another venture and maybe on the air. So ooh uh, yeah, we'll keep so you- yeah, just to give you guys a heads up. Part of the reason we're trying out this format is we have the opportunity to potentially be on the radio, and I think that'd be really cool. So we're going to shift a little bit more to the audio, but. Because we've got people tuning in and commenting on video, we might still have like kind of a bird's eye view of what's going on. We're again, we're experimenting. This is all new. We're figuring out as we go, um, and we're open to suggestions. So, any of you folks that are listening, that are watching, however you're you're finding us, drop us a line. You can contact us on our website at www.savagegentleman.com. Fill out the information there. Tell us what you want to see. Tell us what you like. What you don't like. And uh, we'll get back to you as, as quickly as we can and try to accommodate because, you know, we're we're here for the for the Savage Gentleman community. And let us know if you have any topics that you want to discuss. Make sure to check out SavageGentleman.com. Enter in SG Fight Night for your 15% off. And we'll see you next time.